0: Well, hey there freaks, it's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this week's episode of Tales from the Crypt. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Matt Alborg, the creator of UsefulTulips.org, a data scientist and somebody who's been doing some incredible work diving into P2P exchange data across the world. Matt's got some incredible stories in this episode of how people are using Bitcoin around the world. There's some very unique use cases going on. People are actually using this. People are skirting sanctions, are uh, getting around uh, expensive remittance systems and actually using Bitcoin, uh, as you'll find out. It is not the uh, the only rail being used or the main rail, but it is a rail and it is being used creatively around the world by people who, who need to move money and uh, may not even need to save it. This week's episode of Tales from the Crypt is brought to you by the Cash App. As you know now, Cash App is simply Cash App is the simplest way to send and save money. Excuse me. And now it's the simplest way to try to grow your money. Introducing Cash App Investing. You freaks already know all about this. We're stacking slivers of shares now. All right. Unlike investing tools that only let you buy entire 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 shares of stocks, Cash App lets you instantly invest as little or as much as you want. That way when your favorite company's stock is just a little bit too expensive you can still own a piece with as little as one dollar because cash app is directly connected to your bank account there are no four to five day waiting periods for inbound transfers so you can start investing today brokerage services are provided by cash app investing a subsidiary of square and member SIPC. sipc and as always we're going to use the code stacking sats when we download if you freaks are listening to this podcast and you not download the cash app yet number one what are you waiting for number two when you do download it, uh, use the code stacking sats uh, because you're going to get $10, then Cash App is going to be so kind to give $10 to Owls Lacrosse, <laughs> a charity very near and dear to our hearts. They're not uh, not to be confused with Owls Lacrosse, some scumbag who's trying to riff off the coattails of Owls Lacrosse. All right, so download the Cash App from the App Store or the Google Play Store today uh, and use the code stacking sats. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at Casa. What keeps you up at night with your personal upsec? Upsec, have you gotten set up with your multi-sig yet? Our friends at Casa are working on this. They've drummed up one of the smartest and most secure ways to hodl your Bitcoin. They're really trying to help bring peace of mind uh, to your hodling situation, right? There's no KYC, there's no altcoins, no percentage fees on your Bitcoin, and no one's standing between you and your keys. Uh, it's a Bitcoin-first company. Casa's focused on Bitcoin and Lightning-only and on security only, all right? They're really worried about sovereign recovery too because you always control your keys. You can never be denied access to your Bitcoin. And access to your funds can never be frozen. Even if ACASA were to go out of business, they've been working on this. They include sovereign recovery plans. Uh, during setup, you even practice accessing your funds outside of Casa's app in case of emergencies. All right, they thought about all this hard stuff. They want to help you help yourself. So use the code TFTC. To get up to $250 off your CASA of membership, hit them up directly at membership at team.casa for free demo. You can put them to the test for your hardest questions, have them walk you through their process, uh, and all that good stuff. And on top of this, they have membership packages depending on how much Bitcoin you're looking to secure with them. And the multi-sig setup. So go check them out today at keys.casa slash keymaster. Or again, email them at membership at team.casa and use that code TFTC. To get up to two hundred fifty dollars off, freaks. I really enjoyed sitting down with Matt again. He's been working on some things that I've been fascinated about this year in particular. He he hit the scene in February, uh, came out of nowhere, dropped some incredible uh, details about how people are using Bitcoin in the developing world. And then in October, he grew on that, added Paxful uh, data to his data set, and came out with a website. And then last week. He uh, made the world uh, aware of how people are using Bitcoin as a remittance system with gift cards uh, in Nigeria. Fascinating conversation. A fascinating man working on fascinating stuff to make Bitcoin better. All right. So I hope you freaks enjoy. Love y'all. Okay. Tears from the
1: crib
0: what is up freaks welcome back to tales from the crypt it's your boy marty bent here sitting down on a snowy night with somebody i'm very very excited to talk about this gentleman has been putting together uh some incredible incredible data sets and stories with how bitcoin is actually being used in the third world specifically dissecting uh peer-to-peer bitcoin exchange data being local bitcoins and paxful Uh, my first he first hopped onto my scene in February. Uh, when he wrote about uh, a usage per online economic person metric that he created and how bitcoin was actually being adopted in places like venezuela and has since come out with a bunch more stuff that we're going to dive in tonight i want to introduce you freaks to matt alborg alborg excuse me uh founder of useful and data scientist
1: what's up dude hey great to be here thanks dude
0: thank you for
1: all you've been doing
0: um we're going to dive into a lot here we've been doing a lot of talking pre-interview but i think it's Important to start as is always the case here at Tales from the Crypt. How did you get into Bitcoin? How did you get into data science? What, uh, what's a little bit of your background story here?
1: Sure. Um, yeah, I, I got into Bitcoin in late 2013. I uh, saw it in the headlines as, as the price was going up. I bought my first Bitcoin I think for right around a thousand bucks and two days later uh, it lost 50% of its value Uh, so that was my baptism.
0: I think it's uh, important to preface how you got into Bitcoin, what you were doing at the time. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. So, uh, at that time I was, um, in the Navy, I was a a trained cryptologic linguist. I, uh, the Navy taught me how to speak Chinese and read Chinese. And so while I was going through school there, um, yeah, like I said, I, I happened to catch wind of Bitcoin and it kind of fit a lot of my personality traits, um, you know, I, I have kind of a libertarian lean. Uh, I love technology. I love the efficiency of programmable money. Um, and so I also like gambling and I think a lot of people, uh, if they admit to themselves, a lot of the reason they're in Bitcoin is, uh, they love the roller coaster ride. So I think that's a part of me as well.
0: That's yeah, it's certainly a fun roller coaster ride. If you've been through it, uh, We're a little bit of a lull here, uh, a little bit of turbulence, more yeah, recently, a little but, bit. Um, So how did you come to, so again, it's about the uh, data that you've brought to light and we'll start with your first piece that was written in February. Hmm. Um, Why did you, or before we even jump into that piece in particular, why did you want to attack these data projects? Um, And what, what drove you towards diving into local bitcoins and Paxful?
1: Yeah. So I think, um, Local Bitcoins and Paxful show uh, a lot of how Bitcoin is actually being used in the real world. Um, In the West, it's very easy to get caught up in um, a lot of the uh, retail investment and all the hype and things of that nature. Um, But I found that um, the uh, type of data that Local Bitcoins and Paxful provides is that they show volumes in different currencies around the world and, and... the first time that i really uh it caught my interest was i noticed that in 2014 and 15 you know where there was really not much to talk about um in terms of the price or uh developments um there was definitely an uptick in local bitcoin's volume during that time and i found that very interesting and i thought that it's a um a lot of the promises that bitcoin people put forward uh they they relate to banking the unbanked and, uh, things of that nature. And, and I think that the data on these peer to peer exchanges, uh, definitely, uh, can start to tell you some of that story and whether or not it's actually being useful to people. Yeah.
0: And so that's what I was fascinated was by how much you could glean from this data and particularly with the, uh, the first metric that you created. So what uh how did you attack this from a data project perspective? What were you looking at uh for the uh so you're taking all this exchange data into consideration, the volume data, yeah. you're you're converting it into US dollar volume and then on top of that, you're taking the uh access to internet within each given country right. into into consideration as well, correct?
1: Yeah. So uh the way that CoinDance lays out the volumes is it, it breaks it down by fiat value and in various currencies and I knew that wasn't the best way to look at it because there's a lot of countries that have very small populations. There's uh, different standards of living in those countries. Like you said, different levels of internet penetration. And so um, if Venezuela, for example, has like million a million dollar week, um, what does that really mean uh, in the context of those other variables? And so uh, coming up with that metric, it was kind of like a piece by piece thing. I, I thought, well, first we should uh, we should take it and look at it, uh, look at the population of these given countries. Um, and then I thought, well, uh, a dollar in, um, uh, a dollar in the United States is worth a different amount than a dollar in Venezuela. So we should take that into account. And then, uh, also, you know, many of these countries where we're seeing this massive uptick in, in usage, uh, they have like a smaller proportion of people online. And so, um, yeah, I, it was kind of just a one thing at a time I thought would would make a better metric and that's kind of what I ended up at. And it was really amazing when I first, I plugged it all in and I, and I saw uh, in my article in February, there's a map where it's kind of this heat map where certain countries are like really red. And first time I saw that, it just, it really validated a lot of the things that I was uh trying to go for or trying to show and it was like a big eureka moment for me yeah
0: and so the data outside of local bitcoins and Paxwell what were we getting that from like the internet yep. penetration and the
1: okay so the internet penetration um i got that from oh i i honestly can't remember anymore it is some standardized uh i think maybe by the un or something like that um And they do these surveys like once every five years, so it's not perfectly accurate, um, which a lot of the time causes a problem. But, um, and then in terms of the, uh, uh, I also used um, GDP per capita, I think that was from the CIA fact book, world fact book. And then another index I used uh, was measures of economic freedom and that was done by the Heritage Foundation, which is like a libertarian think tank here in the U S or Canada. I can't, I don't know which. Yeah.
0: And so you you described the heat map, but what does this heat map show? Like, uh, yeah. what, so, you, you were surprised by the colors, but what do these colors represent on, on the ground?
1: Yeah. It showed that at least in terms of local bitcoins, um, over the last progression of the last five years, uh, usage on this platform, uh, it started in the more developed Western economies. Uh, And it transitioned to these uh, less developed uh, economies. And uh, as of this year, or as of the end of last year, when I published a report, the top countries are Venezuela, Nigeria, Kenya, Russia. And these countries all have uh, particular sets of issues that they have in common that they're facing.
0: Yeah, and on top of that, uh, coincidentally, last year... Around this time, when uh, Bitcoin was uh, argu- at the low yeah, point, yeah, about thirty five hundred bucks. Yeah, yep. the the twenty three countries on local Bitcoins, uh, or twenty three of like the smaller countries on local Bitcoins, had their best quarter ever.
1: Right, and that again, it it shows that in the West, um, a lot of people don't know what people are using this for. They even question whether or not it has a use. And this fact, the fact that you know. A uh, couple dozen countries in one of Bitcoin's worst quarter in many years, a couple dozen countries had their best volume quarters ever. And, and that shows that there's something more going on than just speculation. Yes.
0: And well, where do we go from here? So which so I'm right now in my mind, I'm thinking about just going chronologically through your pieces. Uh, the second one being when you announced the the launch of the useful usefultulips.org t- and the addition of Paxful data. But Speaking of how people are using Bitcoin, I think we have to sk- skip to your most recent, which was launched last week. And mm-hmm. you described uh, sort of the remittance flow that exists uh, between Nigerian expats living here in America using gift cards that they buy in local bodegas or 7-Elevens mm-hmm. that they then send back to their family in Nigeria, who then exchanges it for Bitcoin or other. Uh, or US. They, they
1: eventually end up with local you, Nigerian currency. Yes. That's the end result. Yes. Yep.
0: Don't I'm not here to explain this You, you <laughs> wrote the piece you've done all the research. So explain the workflow. What's going on here?
1: Yeah. So, um, basically, I I went into Paxful, uh, the the Paxful data set with an open mind, but with the idea that uh, I had heard through the grapevine of the people that I interview um, I, I do reach out to a lot of these uh, traders on these platforms as well. Uh, they, they publish their uh, phone number oftentimes in their advertisement. They'll um, they'll say, hey, these are the terms of my trade, and if you have any other questions, call my phone number here, and we'll sort it out. And so I kind of use that to reach out to these people and, and figure out what's going on there.
0: What's it like cold call, calling a, a Paxil yeah. trader?
1: Uh, it's, it's very interesting uh, because... These guys have their scam radar up when they're trading on these peer-to-peer exchanges. It's uh, Paxful local bitcoins all of them. The way that these the model of these peer-to-peer exchanges there is an increased amount of risk. You are there are a lot of scammers or things like that that kind of float on these platforms because it's less regulated. Um, and so their radar is up, their guard is up and and then this random guy says, "Hey, I'm Want to ask you some? What are you doing with that Bitcoin, or what are your what are your customers doing with Bitcoin? And um, so yeah, it was tough, especially to start with. Um, But once I published my first article, I I had something to refer to. I said, "Hey, this is me. Go read my article. You'll understand. You'll get context as to what I'm doing." Um, Some of the they're really interesting characters. Some of them are understand the ideology of Bitcoin, um, which is beautiful in a sense because they are kind of sovereign individuals.
0: So how many different uh, traders from different countries have you talked to?
1: I would say at this point, at least three to four dozen. Um, Now, that's, I would say maybe half of those were directly from the phone numbers. And then the other half are kind of once I meet one, they refer me to another. Or once I write these articles, they reach out to me and they say, hey, you got these things right in your article and you got these things wrong in your article. And so, yeah. That's pretty sweet.
0: So 13... or one to two dozen countries represented?
1: I would say so, yeah. Yeah. The countries that I really care about are probably a dozen of them that are the most interesting to me. And so that's kind of the ones that I really go after. Yeah. Okay.
0: So let's hone in on Nigeria's use case. Okay. What is, they're using it as remittance tool, uh, pairing it with gift cards bought here in America. Yeah. Uh, so and- uh,
1: even, even now, it is a bit of an enigma to me. There's a lot of, that's hard to understand. Um, and it really comes from my very narrow perspective growing up here in the States. I have full documentation. I have, uh, I ha- I'm fully banked. Um, where a lot of these people who are using Paxful, um, they are less banked or they don't have the required documents. Um, and so it's really hard to wrap your mind around why they would go through this complicated effort to remit back home. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, tough. Yeah. And
0: so how does Bitcoin fit into their, their solution to this problem?
1: Yeah. So what I discovered, um, is that, uh, as I wrote in my article, um, a lot of these gift cards, a lot of the advertisements, uh, so, so on Paxful you have people bringing cards to Paxful to sell, and then you also have another class of trader that is the people who are buying the cards. When you go on a Paxful, you'll see that these people who are offering to buy these cards, and they buy a lot of cards, uh, we can get to that later, um, but they require that the cards are of a certain type. If it's an Amazon card, they want, uh, oftentimes they'll want a physical gift card versus like a digital e-code. Uh, they'll want the card paired with a receipt. They'll want the card uh, purchased in the last 24 hours, et cetera, et cetera. And so, basically, I came to the conclusion that a lot of the cards being sold on Paxful are, are coming in at a substantial discount, and that really intrigued me. And, and uh, when I opened up an, uh, an account on Paxful and I started trading myself, I found out that a lot of these people who were possessing these cards, a lot of the people who were selling them to me, I was purchasing the cards, they, their IPs were from Nigeria and West Africa, and they were coming to Paxful with pictures of gift cards, like the back of a gift card. Uh, and the receipt said that that card was purchased in the U S like, you know, five, six hours ago, which I thought was crazy. Um, what I ended, what ended up, uh, what I ended up finding was that immigrants in the United States, uh, they will purchase gift cards, uh, at their local convenience store. Uh, they will then, take a picture of those gift cards. they'll send them to their counterparties back in Nigeria. It could be a friend or family or somebody who is actually kind of an informal money broker type person. Um, and then those people in Nigeria are the ones who are uploading the pictures to packs full. Um, once they sell the gift card to a person like me, um, you know I, I could use the gift cards on Amazon personally or whatever. Once they sell that gift card to me, I give them Bitcoin for the gift card. And then they turn around and they enter into a second trade immediately where they sell that Bitcoin that they just earned from me and they trade that Bitcoin for their local currency, Nigeria Naras. Yeah.
0: So it's fascinating, right? Because they're in. It's just easier for them to do it in this way than to go through the traditional banking system. Why is that?
1: So. It is easier in some ways, and it's not not easier in other ways. And and um, so what I found is that uh, I looked at the on my website. I have this metric for Nigerian NARA's uh, percentage from spot price. Uh, that is what how much do Bitcoins trade um, against uh, the U.S. dollar in that particular market compared to uh, the global spot spot price, um, you know, on, on regulated exchanges like Coinbase, Bitstamp, et cetera. I found that in a lot of 2017 and early um, 2018, Nigerian uh, Nara to Bitcoin trades. Bitcoin was trading at like uh, 30, 40% premium uh, during a lot of that time. And so uh, people were able to sell gift cards at a substantial discount and still achieve more Naras uh, delivered to their family uh, than any other remittance method possible at that time.
0: Yeah, so it sort of ebbs and flows, and you go into this in the paper, where uh, it may make sense to use uh, this remittance flow with gift cards and Bitcoin as opposed to something like Western Union right. um, for, for smaller transactions or right. something and, like and that. Right, and the
1: thing about it is, is is with Western Union, because it's a brick-and-mortar establishment, it has to abide by the laws and regulations of the countries that it operates in and so if you're a Western Union in Nigeria the exchange rate that you have to honor is the exchange rate that the government forces you to honor and so back during that time 2016, 17, 18 the Nigerian Central Bank forced Western Union to honor basically a fake uh, exchange rate um, and it was not competitive at all with the black market rate there and so if you're using Western Union, you have to go through the official exchange rate. But if you're using gift cards and Bitcoin, you can go through and redeem your Bitcoin for the black market rate, which is much more favorable.
0: Yeah. And so I think this is a good point to dive into the gift cards. Like what gift cards are they using? Why are they being used as currency? And like they're trading at a discount because of risk, right? And custodian risk and, right. and stuff like that. Uh,
1: well. Counterparty risk, Counterp- I would say. Counterparty
0: risk, yes. Um,
1: Yeah. I'm sorry. Could you repeat the question just one more time?
0: So what, like, what are the range of types of gift cards that are being used? Why would someone use one gift card over another? Um, and, um, uh, how how are they being used as money?
1: Yes. So the types of cards that demand the best price on the platform, it's, it's governed by the people who are buying the cards. Um, and, uh, the people who are buying the cards, uh, more generally, or majorly, uh, fall into a class of people known as like drop shippers, which is these are professional, tra- professional traders who run like small e-commerce websites, um, either in the U.S. or abroad, and they will sell a product on their uh, website, and um, they will ship directly from uh, from a, a particular company directly to the customer, and so. Whatever products um, are, uh, whatever items you can buy with the card, that definitely determines uh, uh, what the price of card you can, how much money you can get for a particular card. Um, And so uh, according to the the data as I laid it out, like some of the top cards are like Amazon gift cards, uh, Google Play gift cards, Steam wallet gift cards, but also some really interesting ones like Sephora gift cards. (laughs) I saw that. That was like,
0: it blew my mind. The makeup company.
1: Yeah. It's like a makeup company. But when you learn about these drop shippers and like how they operate their business, Sephora is like this branded item that a lot of people around the world, they love the status of having a Sephora cosmetics. They're small items. Uh, you can buy like, you know, small pieces of makeup for 20, $30 and, you can ship them. They're they're. You can ship them across the world, and um, it doesn't cost that much. So once you kind of learn about the other side of the trade, you you realize that okay, that actually makes total sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and these drop shippers are essentially trying to uh, cr- create supply chains in other parts yeah. of the world.
1: Yeah. So they will um they will set up these like really complicated logistics networks, and oftentimes this more or less um runs potentially in violation of the terms of service of the, the gift cards that they're working with. Uh, like for example, Amazon gift cards, I I think Amazon probably has like a love hate relationship with these drop shippers because on the one hand they're increasing sales, but on the other, um, there are a lot of kind of, um, problems related with drop shipping that can affect, um, the, returnability of the item and, and, uh, the quality assurance and things can go wrong. If it, if the, if a particular item is changing hands like three or four times in the course of its transit to the final customer. So, um, yeah.
0: And that's beautiful how this sort of natural economy of people needing to remit money from America to Nigeria, people looking to create e-commerce sites, global e-commerce sites, and then people looking to acquire Bitcoin.
1: Yeah. It, it is amazing. I was trying to write a sentence at the end of the article, which kind of beautifully said that, but it's, it's, a, it's a bunch of people who are coming to this market. They really have no idea what the other guy or girl wants. What, what are the, What's the other person trading for? I don't know. I don't care. All I know is that they're buying and I'm selling or they're selling and I'm buying and somehow it all works.
0: Yeah. And what I said in the newsletter that I wrote about the piece that you wrote last week was Bitcoin in this use case really shines as something that allows us to extend our creativity. It's not the the main rail. It is a rail within this process, but it does help immensely, correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And every time I interview somebody new um, or somebody from a different country and uh, how their customers use Bitcoins, uh, I find out crazy new use cases that I never thought of before.
0: So let's dive into them. What are, what are you seeing out there?
1: (laughs) Okay. So, um, one person I know, um, he's Venezuelan. He lives in Argentina now. Uh, really cool guy. He's, he's worked for, uh, quite an established Bitcoin company for a few years now. I won't say which one. Um, but um, <clears throat> he lives in Argentina, and he lives in kind of one of the more affluent neighborhoods of Buenos Aires. And he pays his rent traditionally. He pays it with U.S. dollars because when you live in kind of an affluent neighborhood, as I've learned, they don't want pesos for rent because pesos lose value quickly. They would rather you just give them U.S. dollars. Also, an added benefit is when you pay somebody with U.S. dollars, there uh, it's a lot, a little bit easier to get around the taxes and things like that, and. Um, So, he traditionally was, he gets paid in Bitcoin, Um, he takes that Bitcoin to local Bitcoins, he sells it for Argentine Pesos, um, into his bank, he has, uh, it's through a bank transfer, so he he finds somebody in Argentina who has Argentine Pesos in their bank account, and they want Bitcoin, he will give them Bitcoin, they will transfer Argentine Pesos to his account, and then what he normally does is he, tra- he exchanges that, those Argentine pesos for U.S. dollars. And then he pays his landlord with U.S. dollars. But more recently, uh, Argentina really strengthened their capital controls. And they previously had a limit of $10,000 per month that you can exchange in pesos to U.S. dollars.
0: That's been, that's been cut drastically, right?
1: Yeah. So now it's down to $200. So he can <laughs> no longer convert his pesos to enough U.S. dollars to cover his rent. So here's the really cool part. His landlord, um, she's like half Argentine, half French or something, has like dual citizenship. And uh, so she has a a European bank account. And so he will take his Bitcoin that he's earned from his job. He will then uh, sell sell it to somebody who has a European bank account. That person with the European bank account will then transfer euros into her French bank account. Into <laughs> his landlord's bank account. Yeah, and so she's getting paid in euros. Uh, this Venezuelan guy who lives in Argentina is paying for his apartment rent um, with euros to a French bank account. <laughs> that's pretty crazy. And that's just one of like. There's there's a lot of other crazy. Let's stuff, get. You. We have
0: plenty of yeah. time here. What else are you seeing?
1: <laughs> so another one. Uh, I was really interested in Zimbabwe. Um, they also have serious inflation problems. Um, so this is one where I use the phone numbers on local bitcoins. I called up a couple traders there and, and I asked them like, Hey, why are people buying Bitcoin in your country? Like, um, there's a lot, of, there's a big premium to it.
0: It's crazy. Just fucking cold call the traders <laughs> who would have thought. Yeah.
1: And yeah, one of them was kind of tough to crack, but, um, Yeah. So I heard from two different people and and there's a lot of this is kind of soft data. It's just like I heard that this happened or I heard that that happened. So it's not hard data, but I heard from two separate independent Zimbabwe traders that people acquire Bitcoin in Zimbabwe um, because, uh, again, it's another story of capital controls in Zimbabwe, you're not allowed to exchange your. Zimbabwe dollars, they're called RTGS dollars, real-time gross settlement. It's like uh, Zimbabwe Central Bank's fake pig to the U.S. dollar. Um, I think right now, like, uh, it takes, like, 40 or 50 RTGS to get one real U.S. dollar when originally it was supposed to be a (laughs) one-to-one. But um, uh, so they're not allowed to exchange their RTGS U.S. dollars for actual real dollars. And so they cannot purchase goods on the foreign market because US dollars are usually uh, what is uh, accepted on the foreign market you can't take your RTGS dollars and buy stuff uh, all around the world nobody accepts them so what they're doing uh, is they will trade their RTGS dollars on local bitcoins for Bitcoin and then they will take those uh, it's used car dealers is is, is uh, the use case here so, so they will acquire Bitcoin they will take the Bitcoin to this random Japanese used car website. Um, and it was interesting coming across that website because, uh, you know, in, in 2017, there were all sorts of companies who kind of jumped on the, we accept Bitcoin bandwagon, but like, it's kind of strange for this like random used car company in Japan to accept Bitcoin. It's like, it, um, it's like, what, what is this gimmick about? Well um, it turns out that it was not a gimmick uh, people were acquiring Bitcoin in Zimbabwe they buy these used cars from this Japanese website um, these cars are like five hundred to thousand bucks uh, a lot of the time uh, you know like 1997 Mercedes or something like that you know 200,000 miles on it they'll buy these cars uh, they'll they'll put them on a ship they'll ship them to Durban South Africa where the person in Zimbabwe will go down to South Africa and pick up their cars. If they're a car salesman, they're probably buying a few cars at a time. And then they'll roll them back up to Zimbabwe through the border, and uh, they will be able to now sell their cars in Zimbabwe. So.
0: Whoa. So they, wouldn't, so they wouldn't have been able to use the ZGTS?
1: The RTGS. RGTS. Yeah.
0: Those dollars to uh, buy from an outside country import yes, it exactly so because the have... central
1: bank of zimbabwe does not allow people inside of zimbabwe to so this, send their money abroad because the, that hurts the zimbabwe economy and this
0: japanese provider was probably providing for a while was needed a solution with them It's like all right I'll, I'll accept bitcoin yeah
1: Mm-hmm. wow so i like i said i heard this from two people i don't know the full scale of this i reached out to the company about it i never got anything back i feel like this, um, this type of gray area activity, a lot of people don't really want to talk about it as much. Um, but this type of stuff is happening everywhere.
0: What, what would you say is your like gnarliest or most creative use case? Have you talked about it already or is there?
1: So, um, here's another one I found. Um, this is a Paxful trader. He's bought his volume is 1 to 2,000 bitcoins of volume on Paxful. So I've, I would imagine that's like over $10 million. Pretty over. substantial. Yeah. And it's mostly Steam, Steam gift cards. He's buying a shit ton of Steam gift cards over the years. And
0: for you freaks out there who don't know what Steam is, it's a gaming site, correct.
1: correct? Yeah. It's like a piece of software where you can... Um, they have like a bunch of games and you can buy the video games using these Steam credits. And... Uh you can also buy skins to items in these games. Uh like CS Counter-Strike, it's like a shoot it, shoot 'em up game. You can buy like cool skins on your guns, make them look cooler, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So this guy buys discounted uh discounted gift cards on PAXful. He will then use those gift cards to purchase uh items, like these in-game items. Uh he'll use this the steam wallet credits to purchase these in-game items and then he will turn around and he'll flip those he'll sell he'll resell them again for bitcoin cuz a lot of these item trading websites these skin trading websites they have bitcoin as a deposit and withdrawal option um, so he'll he'll flip those he uses his his bot on Paxful uses IBM Watson natural language processing so like it's all automated from the Paxful side where He's doing his, he basically has a robot trading with people on Paxful and then he'll, he's running machine learning algorithms on these skin trading websites. So he'll be buying, buying these items for low, selling them a little higher, but he's still making money even if he's selling them for a slight loss because he's getting these discounted gift cards for like 30 or 40% off. What? And he's, I think he's like 25, 26 years old. So, um, you know,
0: just found a loop in the system. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, that was another really cool one that I found out about. Um, but you know there's also there's also some uh, use cases that might not be approved by a lot of people in the world, and so let's dive into those. yeah, so I mean I, I just when I wrote the article I, I mentioned it a few times throughout, and I you know we just have to, I want to have a disclaimer here that I don't know the proportion of, of noble utility use to potential nefarious use. So some potential nefarious use cases, um, one, which was actually documented was that, um, if you've ever heard of like a romance scam, you know what that is? I do not. So you heard of catfishing? Yes. Okay. So in Nigeria, because, uh, most Nigerians speak English, um, they, it is like their cyber crime is a very big thing in Nigeria. And um, they will uh, catfish people in the United States, and then if they do a good enough job, they can convince those people in the US to uh, buy, it, buy them gift cards. You can say, hey, baby, please uh, send me an Amazon gift card or whatever. Um, and so they will have their victims buy the gift cards for them and then send those pictures to them. Um, and then, you know, it, it has been documented.
0: Yeah, I'm not too mad about that. If you're getting catfished, you deserve it. Yeah. Don't I, get catfished. People meet the person in real life before you send them in a gift card.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, it is kind of, um, it is interesting. And um, when you go down this road uh, from somebody in my shoes where you actually, you know, I I am, like I said, a good libertarian, and I believe that everybody should um, should have privacy in their behavior and everything like that. But when you come face-to-face with some of these uh, use cases, you start to understand um, some people in law enforcement because, um, you know, Bitcoin can enable some bad things sometimes, for sure. All right. What, what else? Mm. Let's just go down the list. <laughs> uh, I mean... There's a couple others that are pure speculation of mine, and so I don't want to throw shade on anybody. Lay it um, out there. Lay it out there. Nah, it, it maybe like I said, a lot of the things I have are just pure speculation, and yeah. I don't want to throw shade on. If I if I draw negative attention to these uh, to these companies or to these user sets, um, I could be destroying a lot of good activity because. Maybe I would be falsely labeling it uh, otherwise. That's a very good point. All right. If I don't have hard evidence, then I'm not going to, you know, go on and and point fingers and things like that. All right. I wouldn't want
0: to make you do that. That was just me trying to prod a little bit further. But did you approach this with the mindset of, if I'm into Bitcoin, like, I want to prove that it's working in a
1: certain way and, like, I just need to know that? Was it, like, a scratch that you were just looking at? absolutely. I... A part of my personality is I love proving people wrong, and so there's, there's a lot of um, pompous people in the world who uh, say that Bitcoin is this worthless uh, instrument, and it's, it is Tulip Mania. That's kind of where I got the uh, name for my website is, you know, uh, Bitcoin haters' favorite uh, meme is that uh, it's just another Tulip Mania, referring to the Dutch Tulip Bulb history. Yeah.
0: Which lasted three months. Hmm? Which lasted three months. Yeah, It's a terrible comparison.
1: Exactly, but it is what it is, and so that is one of the favorite insults. And so I love really digging in and proving a lot of these so-called very smart people wrong. And so, um, but that also kind of exposes me to bias because when I'm doing my research, in my heart of hearts, I do want to find out these noble utility uses, and I do want to find... Um, all the beautiful things that are happening. And so I have to acknowledge that that's a part of my bias as well
0: And So how do you go about that trying to acknowledge and uh, curb your bias as much as possible?
1: Yeah, I mean it, it really it, it's um, At the end of the day it comes down to you. You have to be honest about um, What you're doing. I understand how in journalism, it's so easy to to warp a story one way or another and you can do the same thing with data. I could I could use PAXful data to write a completely different story if I wanted to. Um, so, really, that's what it comes down to is integrity and, and trying to tell a complete story and being able to sleep at night. So, yeah,
0: no, and I, that's what I love about your research in particular is that you've you've followed up by cold calling the traders and yeah. and getting personal stories and anecdotes. Yes, they it's anecdotal evidence, but it's better than just looking at the numbers and, and trying to, uh, trying to, uh, basically make your own conclusions without speaking with anybody.
1: Yeah. And, you know, still I'm, I'm learning just like everybody else. So, um, I do my best to, to, to track down the complete story, but, um, at the end of the day, this is still a really murky, murky market. And so, um, there's a lot of things we will continue to find out about how how this stuff is being used. Do you
0: envision Bitcoin uh, sort of closing the loop at all in the future? And
1: you mean as um, iterating and making
0: not like I described earlier in the Nigerian remittance gift card uh, flow? Bitcoin is where just it never one.
1: goes to fiat and it just stays in Bitcoin. Yes. Mm, I think that's going to take a long time. Um, I think there are a lot of inefficiencies to how Bitcoin works and the number one inefficiency that I see and that I hear from these people that I talk to it is the volatility of Bitcoin Um, these people a lot of the people that I talk to they are really scraping by Um, and so they they have no patience for something that can lose or gain 10% in a day they want something reliable and that's um, one thing that I, I guess I'm pretty confident about now is in, in, I'm gonna uh, kind of try to make sure that the community knows that um, a lot of people are using Bitcoin in developing economies. The end goal is not to get Bitcoin. The end goal is to get US dollars or to get some sort of stable fiat currency, and Bitcoin is simply a conduit to get to that. Um, and that's what I see very frequently um, uh, across many user sets on on local bitcoins and Paxful.
0: That's what we learned when we had uh, Adam Reed's and Mauricio and Di Bartolomo, oh, God, I was fuck up his name. We had Mauricio and Adam on from uh, Latin.io. I mean, these people are demanding stable coins. They, I you yeah. can't survive the volatility risk.
1: Yeah, and so I, I think that stable coins um, will will continue to get bigger and bigger. I think that um, I think that the United States, it's in its advantage. It's in the interest of the United States government to allow people from all around the world to use the U.S. dollar. I think they would want that because oh, definitely. it increases their competitive advantage over other countries. It increases the network effect of the dollar. Um, I don't know if they have fully realized that yet. And um, I think they still... They associate Bitcoin with criminal activity and things like that. But um, once they figure out that Bitcoin can be this brilliant channel to the U.S. dollar, they will start changing their tune. Um, and so once that happens, I do think that um, stable coins will, will get bigger and bigger and bigger.
0: Do you have a preferred stable coin at this
1: point? I mean... Again, I'm not the one using these stablecoins. It's the people that I talk to. And from what I hear, um, I hear that there is a lot of Tether usage. I've heard of USDC usage. Um, However, uh, the couple of people I heard about the USDC usage, they were uh, storing it on, on Coinbase. And then Coinbase raised its fees. Um, And so basically it priced these developing country users off the platform because they couldn't afford to go from Bitcoin to USDC anymore uh, because they were getting gouged by Coinbase. Um, uh, I've heard of that guy in Argentina. He actually, uh, he puts his money in compound. So he he has, uh, he uses DAI, he uses compound. Um, He's earning, I think like, Six percent or whatever the rate is for die now. So, um, I think yeah, that stuff will continue to be used and in, um, yeah.
0: No, oh, it's fascinating. It's no, um, yeah, there's a lot of. It's fascinating the, uh, the uh, the different angles through which you come from it. It's either good savings technology or it's a good rail to yeah. to skirt yeah. around. Mm-hmm. Uh, in an efficient, incumbent system, right?
1: Yeah, and that stuff is constantly evolving as the user interface on all these platforms increases that will make these crypto assets uh, more and more attractive to use. Um, but at the same time, it, y- you also have your kind of... Um, the What happened with Napster and LimeWire and all that stuff. Um, a lot of the record companies or the music industry or whatever, they caught up in terms of technology or providing their services and so they were able to eventually provide their services in a more convenient efficient way and so there's all sorts of shifting um shifting uh phenomenon uh happening and so it's constantly evolving yeah yeah
0: that's crazy to be a part of and uh and again, I'm like very glad that you've taken the time to dive into this data and bring these stories to light because again, it's important. I feel like a lot of people are driving blind. Uh, Lee Qian's Q- actually done some great journalism uh, mm-hmm. around this subject as well. Yeah, I've,
1: I've talked to her a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, she she does really great work. Yeah, like her
0: her recent posts, uh, her recent articles on uh, yeah, mesh how, networks. I think right. Yeah, how Bitcoin's being used in protest and uh, in. How it's helping people skirt sanctions and how it's falling short in some some mm-hmm. cases. Are you optimistic in Bitcoin's long term?
1: Uh, For sure, I am. Uh, in in terms of people being able to use this internet money, I'm very optimistic and bullish on that. Um, I don't know which token it will end up being, but the increase in the prevalence of the internet, um, I think nobody is going to. Uh, argue that that's going to drop obviously there are moments in particular countries where the power goes out or where they get uh, they shut down the internet during protest times but um, on on the whole this access to the internet is only going to increase Um, and so yeah i'm very bullish on on people doing that yeah do
0: you have any uh personal leaning towards bitcoin over other assets in particular like do you think
1: Yeah, I mean, I've definitely, I think Bitcoin has all of the network effects. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, since moving to New York, uh, I go to BitDevs meetups. um, And so the developer network effects that Bitcoin has uh, are amazing. Uh, When you go to a BitDevs meeting, the, you know, over 100 incredibly smart people voluntarily come into a crowded room Uh, every month, and they talk about GitHub commits. And I think there's something really special about that, Um, and you can't discount this amount of super smart people working on a project, a lot of the times for free. A lot of the times they are getting paid or they've already made their money, so now they're just doing it to piss people off. But, uh, (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of super smart people. BitDev's
0: tomorrow night, you're going to be there?
1: I'll be there, yeah. I think
0: I will be, too. I've missed the last few months. I think it's going to be the first one I make in like four months. Um, no, but Devs is incredible. We, we are spoiled here in New York. Uh, yeah. And
1: and that's that's part, one of the reasons I came to New York is I was living in Hawaii. And it really is a lot about the people in the space. And um, even if you, you don't happen to live in New York, um, I would encourage anybody in the space, start reaching out to people um, you know, send those, do those cold calls, do those cold emails. You would be surprised if you know, if you know something cool or if you're onto something cool, you'll be surprised how much response you get back.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you're a fucking perfect example of that. You pretty much burst on the scene with your piece in February. I found that and knew immediately, like, boom, I think you had less than, less than 500 followers at that point. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if you're putting out good time this is a meritocracy, like,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely.
0: And was there, um, was there, do you have any like apprehension to putting, putting yourself out there or putting this data out there?
1: Um, in what way do you mean? Like, were you nervous about putting it out? Were yeah, like, for sure. Anytime you put something out there, you're, you're just waiting for people to poke holes in it or things of that nature. Um, it's just something you kind of have to get over and it, also forces you to really do your homework. So by the time it does get out the door, you've kind of already anguished over it for a long time. And so the chances are it's probably pretty decent by then.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's very decent, uh, from observation, uh, more than decent, better than decent. Uh, I, I I wanted to get to know more about you. Like you have a very interesting story. You were describing how, uh, you did college on and off and you went into the navy and you lived yeah. in Hawaii and now you're here what what sort of drives you? it seems like i think we're very similar in that we were the sea students that were yeah fixated on things outside of school i was was yeah. very much that kid as well
1: mm-hmm. yeah i mean it it has been like a really interesting journey for me and um it yeah it it, it really I found something that I was passionate about and, um, I had the guts to kind of go for it. And it was nice that, you know, I'm not, um, uh, rich by anybody's standards, but I, I invested a little bit early. And so I was able to build up a little bit of padding to the point where I could kind of jump off and pursue this thing that I wanted to. And so, um, yeah, it, it was really cool and so far it has paid off. Um, I'm doing what I love and um, uh, it's been a really fun ride. I'm meeting a lot of cool people.
0: What were some of the harder times on this journey?
1: Yeah, um, I guess the first few jobs that I got are the, not few, I've only had two jobs since the graduating the data science program last year. Um, <laughs> my, first, my first job, I went to Mexico City I worked for a company called AirTM. They, um, they're a super cool company. They also have a peer to peer exchange. Only their base currency is not Bitcoin. It's actually us dollars, which is a very interesting angle that they're trying cash. It, or, no, it's not cash. So yeah. they have this thing called the air USD. It's like fully, it's a digital dollar fully backed inside of us bank accounts. They do run like full KYC AML on the platform. Um, but like, I think over 90% of their customers are Venezuelan. They, they really caught fire in Venezuela during the crisis there. And um, they read my piece and they said, hey, come to, come to Mexico City. And um, it was great. I, I learned so much about uh, the team and, and the challenges that they're working with and um, things like that. But I mean, it didn't pay much, so. Uh, It was, it was a struggle to, 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 you know, try to earn that first kind of steady, steady dollar doing this crazy Bitcoin thing. So (laughs) I'm sure you can relate, you know?
0: Yeah, it certainly can. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely not easy. Keep your daytime. I mean, unless you have like a padding or cushion, definitely keep your daytime job, rip a side hustle in this space. Yeah, Um, absolutely. It's, uh, it's worthwhile, though, it feels like. I get to meet people like you, uh, working on cool stuff. So I guess, what's uh, what's the future have in store? What do you want to do with useful tulips? Uh, what projects do you lie ahead? Um, any uh, Is there anything anybody else can help you with, like outside?
1: Yeah, um, for useful tulips, I, I do con- uh, intend to continue expanding on the data sets. Um, I would like to bring in uh, more peer-to-peer exchange data. I'm trying to talk to some of those exchanges. It's sometimes hard to get them to fully cooperate because when they share data, they're kind of giving up some of their business intelligence. As well as if they do it in the wrong way, they're giving up privacy of their users. Um, I'm also, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a data scientist, like I said, so... Um, if anybody out there, uh, knows how to do front end uh, a little bit better, if you go to my website, useful you'll see, I'm sure you open up the developer tab, you'll see all sorts of bugs popping up. So, um, if you want to help out with the project, uh, as little as five hours every week or two is fine with me. Um, you can fix some of those bugs. Uh, that would be really cool. Um, as far as in the future, uh. uh I don't know. I'm finding all these crazy patterns. I would eventually like to, maybe, uh, find a pattern in there that I can kind of capitalize and maybe build a business around. Um, what do you mean by pattern? Well, these these use cases that I'm discovering, like for example, gift card, gift cards in Nigeria, or um, any any one of the use cases that I that I talked about. If if I find one of those. And I find it's happening on a massive enough scale. Maybe I can build a business around it. Um, and so, yeah, that, that would be really cool.
0: That's one thing I said uh, in the bent that I wrote about your most recent piece is research and data like this is very important because it helps. Like So it helps people uh, develop a better UX perspective. Yeah. Of how a better product are. for sure. Exactly. And build a better product and yep. for these use cases. So what, what are the low hanging fruits right now? Like what, what, how would you build a product for this? This is uh, basically better market making or market matching for people selling these goods or.
1: Yeah. I mean the companies that have been doing this for a few years, they have gotten good at it. Um, I, in my opinion, I do think that stable coins uh, could be a big thing. I think, If somebody came along with a peer-to-peer exchange um, and they offered, instead of the base currency being Bitcoin, uh, it were some sort of stable coin. And again, RTM is kind of doing that already. Um, I think that's potentially uh, something. I also think that if these companies start linking in DeFi products to their platforms so that... um, Because a lot of the times, like I said, people are in and out of Bitcoin very quickly. Um, they go from one fiat to Bitcoin and then immediately they go from Bitcoin to that other fiat. Uh, if they can provide interest bearing, uh, accounts in some way on these platforms, I think that could also be big. Um, yeah. And then other than that, just cutting down on the amount of, um, uh, user experience problems, uh, cutting down on the amount of, Scammers on the platforms—that's very hard to do. They always worm their way in, no matter what. But um, all that stuff is—is is big, yeah, uh, very important. <clears throat> and now it's fascinating how
0: how people are actually using Bitcoin and, and other cryptocurrencies. So, do you? So, I believe inherently that stable coins are inherently <laughs> unstable, right? Because the underlying currencies—that yeah, for sure. Uh, and
1: when I say stablecoin, I'm talking about this uh, magical fantasy stablecoin that doesn't break or that doesn't um, require ridiculous amount of uh, bureaucracy to administer it, and that is still um, really hard to come by. I think Tether has kind of pulled that off in, in a certain way. The, the magic that Tether works is that... Um, you have to KYC when you get the tokens and then you have to KYC when you redeem them. But you can trade them uh, infinitely. Uh, They can jump from user to user without any KYC AML. They just have to do it at the two endpoints. And so um, that's kind of, I guess you could say, I don't know if you want to call it an innovation or a loophole, but they have done something there. And and the other stable coins are doing that as well, Um, but yeah. It's it is tricky. I don't know if it's even possible to have a stablecoin-based currency type thing because um, there are a lot of problems with it for sure.
0: Yeah, like we found out with uh, the Zimbabwe uh, currency that was quasi stablecoin. Yeah, right. Like that's right. Dollar, it was. So like a, yep. It's fascinating. What um, what else are you are the people on these platforms worried about privacy at all? Like, uh, yeah, that's
1: a, that's also tricky. I think. Um, the, for the users who are simply trying to get access to stable currency, and they're not doing any other type of potentially bad stuff, which I think is, there's, there's a lot of legit users on these platforms that are using Bitcoin to help improve their lives. Um, um, It's Sorry, I forgot your question, but yeah, I had no, a great answer, I swear. They're trying
0: to improve their lives. Do they care about privacy? Like uh, Privacy, partic- right. Particularly at a protocol <laughs> level.
1: or Yeah, so for privacy, they, they, um, they're willing to do KYC AML with a jurisdiction that's outside of their own jurisdiction. So that's, if, I'm a, if I'm a Venezuelan user, I don't mind submitting my documents to local Bitcoins in Finland or to Paxful in New York. Uh, so long as my documents and my trading activity don't make it back to Venezuela.
0: Yeah. Cause that's what was fascinating was local Bitcoins added KYC AML recently and their yep. activity went down, but Paxful has KYC AML too, correct?
1: They do, but up to a certain, is their threshold? Yeah, you can, I think, uh, and I might be wrong, but I think you can trade up to $1,500 worth uh, before you have to go do the KYC AML and Paxful. Whereas uh, local bitcoins, I think right out of the gate, you have to do some level of KYC AML with them. Um, so yeah, it is it is a little different. And again, these things change all the time. So um, I don't know how that's going to play out in the future. But I, I also think that, you know, local bitcoins lost a lot of volume when they really tightened up the KYC AML. But I, I think that a lot of people's thought is that, oh, they're just all the bad people left. And I don't think that's true uh, a lot of the time. I think what's happening is that, and I've heard this from both Paxful and local bitcoins, is that um, it's actually really hard to do KYC AML when you are living in one of these countries and you don't have, your documentation doesn't match the standards of the country that you're trying to do KYC AML with. Like one example I think Paxful told me was like, um, I don't know which country it was, but on some countries, like most popular identity document, they don't have an expiration date on that document. And yet, in the U.S., when you do KYC AML, that's one of the fields that you have to fill out in order to make the regulators, you know, give it their blessing or whatever. And so they basically, like, had to cut off a lot of these users who were legitimately trying to do KYC AML simply because... um, you know, their documents didn't match the standards. Yeah. Uh,
0: Alejandro Machado, uh, showed me his Venezuelan ID and it looked like the fake ID made my dorm room, my freshman year.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So there's, there's all sorts of problems like this and yeah. And it's, I think that there's a lot of room for innovation in that market. I think there's a lot of hard work that has to be done in terms of like creating these uniform standards and, dealing with all of these different documents across all of these different countries and things like that so
0: yeah so i actually think you're doing some of the most important work here again getting to the the most important work being done outside of like development of the bitcoin protocol within the bitcoin ecosystem because that's been the problem the first 11 years in right is uh, mismarketing bitcoin is something like something that's easy, fast transactions, uh, yeah. uh private at one point people were spieling that, but now again, by cold calling uh, the traders on these P2P exchanges, you're here, uh, really diving into how people are using this. And I think we're going to be able to build better products with more research like this. So outside of what you're doing, like, what else do you think we need to focus on?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, l- like I said, uh, or like you said, I, I do think the UI UX is, is huge. And I think if you are building a UI UX in the space, you better be talking to your potential customers. Um, and you better be learning how they are using your product. I think that is massively important. You have to make this stuff easy to use um, and um, in a way that people understand uh, how it's working. So... I think that is uh, very, very important. That's the biggest one I can think of. Yeah.
0: Yes, because are most people holding these Bitcoin off exchange or just using local Bitcoins as sort of a
1: trade? So, yeah, local Bitcoins does custody the Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, I think what happens a lot of the time is is, um, in a remittance case, like a user will buy Bitcoin off of a regulated exchange, and then they will transfer it to local bitcoins. Local bitcoins will then custody it, and then they'll um, offload it there. So, um, yeah, yeah.
0: And that and the last question I've been forgetting for the last ten minutes. It sim- pops in my head, and pops out. Is how much uh, how much volume are we not seeing? Like how many traders are making relationships on these P two P exchanges, and then just contacting each other directly yeah. outside of the website?
1: I mean. There's no way I could answer that, but I think it's probably pretty damn big. Um, like, do you think uh,
0: what we're shown is the tip of the iceberg and everything else? I think,
1: is... I really do. Um, I don't know, like I said, I don't want to say any numbers, but it's a 1% fee to trade on local Bitcoins. It's a 1% fee, 1% or 2% to pay on packs full. That in itself is an incentive for people to leave the exchange. In addition, when you leave the exchange, you can, uh, gain more privacy in what you're doing. And, um, so, and the people that I've talked to, they, they, they do talk about that all the time. They say, yes, when I build up a relationship, we move off. And so, um, I talked to a guy in Mexico city. Um, he was a local bitcoins trader for quite a while. And he said, he said, I think he said his best month he did, um, low seven figures, uh, volume, and none of it was on local bitcoins. And, and he doesn't even really use local bitcoins anymore. He has his network of people, um, that know him. He's a known trader. He he's been in the game for so long. And so he he's, he's not even really on local bitcoins much anymore.
0: Local bitcoins could be just like an incubator for these huge trading, trading conglomerates.
1: Yeah. And so the only place you can look is on the blockchain at that point, you, um, you can look at a number of transactions uh, occurring across the network. You have to look at the fees. Are people willing to pay money to send Bitcoins? That's really the only other way you could measure it.
0: If you had to guess, I know you don't want to throw any <laughs> hard numbers out there. Like.
1: Yeah, I, in one of my articles, I said it could be, I would say the lowest it could be would maybe be 30% of what we're seeing on on local Bitcoins and Paxful. So that's the lowest it could be. And the highest it could be would be like a few multiples of the volume that we're seeing on local Bitcoins and Paxful. So it, I think it could be pretty darn big. But who knows? Yeah. Um, it, it, there's all sorts of these um, WhatsApp groups and, and Telegram groups that people trade on all the time. Yeah.
0: So, what are the biggest worries of these traders? Just government crackdown? tax man
1: jail um, no i i think a lot of these users they they're in countries where things are so chaotic that they're not really worried about um they're not even a blip on the radar of the government the government's just trying to hold things together you know um i i think their biggest worry is just getting scammed um in, in some way um uh, they they go into a trade uh, that they thought they were going to get something out of it, and then through some uh, trickery, they they lost their money. Um, every single trader I've talked to has some sort of story about that. And what's interesting is that they almost always blame themselves, which is uh, I think yeah, it is really core to a lot of people in Bitcoin is like they they do kind of they understand that they're playing. In the Wild West right now, and and if they get burned, that's kind of a part of the learning experience. And I think there's also in like libertarian ideology, there is that kind of self accountability, and ah, eh, I shouldn't have done that, or I should have been smarter. So that that's kind of interesting to see as well.
0: Yeah, what are your um, speaking of libertarian ideology? I'm just like interested to get your thoughts on America, the current state of America, the world politics. It seems like things are a very uh volatile and um, I don't want to talk about like politics directly but it seems like the world is at a very volatile inflection point like do you do you see bitcoin as an imperative or, or something like it as an imperative
1: to to curb uh the state and its power i think that uh yes i do think bitcoin will keep governments honest it will force governments to be more honest Um, I, I personally think we've already seen it happen. I think Bitcoin has already influenced the policy in Venezuela because the Venezuelan government imposes X, Y, Z policies, and then people use Bitcoin and get around those policies and it kind of forces the government's hand. And I'm not saying that Bitcoin is like, you know, the biggest reason for this, but I think it has already played a part in changing government policy to be a little more honest it's uh it's great like do you
0: it, it's and then the governments get involved too so like on top yeah. of that keeping them honest uh like the venezuelan government being able to tell where people are mining bitcoin and confiscate their miners yeah. and then talk about the nefarious use case of bitcoin potentially yeah. i mean it's hard like i consider the Mindora like midora and the putin like regimes terrible but like uh, if you throw sanctions on these countries and they still need to buy economic goods and they're trying to feed their citizens using bitcoin to buy goods mm-hmm. from Russia and stuff like that and, but uh, to the US it's a completely nefarious uh, yeah so that's case.
1: kind of another it depends on what your perspective is you could argue that um these rogue states using bitcoin is also it's like a way of keeping these world this world hegemon honest in a sense because um, you know you definitely the US government I think has probably leveraged the power of its network effects uh, of its dollar and of its military force to get other countries to do certain things and so just as those governments uh, force their citizens to do certain thing America forces these smaller countries to do these certain things and um, I think on different levels, Bitcoin is keeping all of these, uh, entities a little more honest and it will make them a little more honest. Yeah. Somebody has been in the Navy and
0: served our country. Thank you. Um, how is there stuff that you saw
1: while you were, uh, working for the state that, no, I mean the Navy was very, very good to me. They, like I, I told you before the interview started, um, yeah, I didn't have a lot of direction in life before the military, and they gave me a lot of direction. They gave me excellent training. They're still paying for my education. Uh, Very grateful for all that. Um, But when I was in the Navy, uh, it is a gigantic bureaucracy, and there's a ton of inefficiency in government uh, institutions. And so I guess you could say that was one thing that I learned when I was in the military is there is a lot of uh, inefficiency when the incentives are not aligned correctly. Like for example, if you, if you're in the go, if you work in the government for a long time, a lot of government workers, they just, they're, they're uh, going for that pension check and they're, they're doing just a good enough, a job to, to, to get to that pension and, and they don't, they're not doing any better job than that. Um, and so I think, um, that taught me a little bit of a lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Nuts.
0: what was yeah no and i mean it's uh you're talking to somebody who who worked for uh a cap a navy a naval captain for for eight summers down the shore and you uh, did yeah yeah huh we talked what did you do i worked at a hot dog stand uh, okay <laughs> and the uh the owner um was a naval captain It's actually funny the uh the town in which the hot dog stand resided you're only allowed to get a permit to start a hot dog stand if you're a member of the military. But I see. Bureaucracy. Right. <laughs> no, but uh no and I, I he bubba would uh would uh, echo the um the sentiment you said about like being great from a uh getting your shit in order perspective, mm-hmm. great Absolutely. life lessons and all that, but then uh the bureaucracy as well definitely gotten into things like sitting in the ocean and blowing up random random boats and stuff like that. They're just really hanging out, not really doing too much, but no, it's, uh, it's crazy. It's interesting because a lot of people like to hate on the state and the army and then they figure about the individuals who actually build up this stuff. Right. And yeah, you're, you're all free yeah. thinkers. There's a lot
1: of red blooded freedom, loving privacy, loving people in government as well. And you, you can't forget that. Yeah. The fifth, the fifth column. If you will, right? Do you
0: think there's there's more than people would
1: like uh, to admit? Imat- say that again. Explain that the fifth what? The fifth column, uh, not understanding people. Never heard of that. People who uh,
0: so Edward Snowden would be like fifth column. I think somebody, okay. somebody blowers. People. Oh, I see. People who have uh, the true, uh, the true best interest of the people at heart within these mm. bureaucracies that sometimes may uh, uh, not be working. In mm. the people's best interests, in some people's mind. I see. Yeah, um, debatable. Like eh. Snowden may not be the best example, but like somebody, uh, the representatives uh, McHenry uh, and Davidson, who are pro Bitcoin, would be fifth column okay. to Bitcoiners. They're in the government and pushing for something that is yeah, that is sort of for the people's rights and yeah. is and a bit I, abrasive I've... to the the uh, the incumbent system. Hmm.
1: A lot of Absolutely, a lot of um, people recognize that uh, big government can uh, create problems a lot of the time. Yeah. yeah. Well,
0: where can we find out more? Obviously, we can go to UsefulTulips.org. What uh, you already described how uh, you need help on the front end and stuff like that. What? How would you encourage others to to help in this sort of uh, research? Like, again, just picking up the phone, cold calling these. Yeah.
1: If you're one of those people who uses Bitcoin in a really cool and novel way, reach out to me. Um, you know, like I said, there's nothing stopping anybody from, from digging in and, and, uh, finding out more. You just follow your curiosity. If you're interested in this stuff, um, yeah, go for it. So, well,
0: man, I can't thank you enough for the work you're doing. It's truly, I think, uh, very underrated right now, very important, imperative, if you will. Again, we need to figure out how people are using Bitcoin. And, uh, I'm very thankful that, that you're doing what you do and that you're here with us.
1: Yeah. And thank you very much for uh, having me on the show.
0: I appreciate it. I had to, uh, had to knock on the door a couple of times. We finally got (laughs) it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, dude. Um, that's all we got this week. Freaks peace and love.